Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And we are coming to you in the midst of one of the biggest and most interesting sports weeks on the calendar. The NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament ended Monday. The Masters and MLB both start Thursday. The NBA regular season ends Sunday. Plus, there's some good UFC, boxing, and late-season NHL action. From a gambling perspective, the big story so far is how a foot on the sideline with four seconds remaining swung weather Kansas covered on Monday night. Uh, John, did you have either side of that game and care about the out-of-bounds play? And what's your biggest real life sweat the remainder of this major sports week? Well, since you ask, it's time for a full confession. This is the first time probably since March Madness brackets were born in 1985 that I did not fill one out this year. Mm. And that, that did impact my level of interest, I, I noticed. Uh, I caught the second half of most of the best games by seeing my Twitter feed start buzzing on some game. And I had a financial interest in that great Duke-North Carolina game that went my way with UNC Moneyline. But once insufferable Coach K was vanquished, I, I just – I just couldn't get interested in the final, really. Hmm. Now, my brother, who's a casual sports fan, he texted me, UNC, exclamation point, uh, three times mid-game. <laughs> so I checked and saw that the, dark, the Tar Heels dominated the first half. So I yeah. figured it was over. I didn't learn otherwise until there were not even 10 seconds left in the game. In other words, I only caught like the last 20 minutes of the game in real time. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it wasn't that big a deal to me. I wasn't even sure what the spread was. But now my sweats this week, though, are golf, of course. It's right. very much in my best interest for the winner of the Masters to be either Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Cameron Smith, or a 101 shot. In real-life wagers and on the podcast, I want the winner to be Will Zalatoris mm-hmm. or for Gary Woodland to be that 101 shot of wins or at least he finishes in the top 10. Okay, interesting. So uh, you'll not be surprised to learn that I was asleep on Monday long before that <laughs> foot hit the sideline. Um, my only bet on the game was on Kansas to get to 15 points first, and that mm-hmm. one barely won, and then I had no sweats remaining. You know, basketball games that start at 9.20 Eastern on a weeknight, yeah. Yeah. they're telling me that they don't care about the middle-aged narcoleptic audience. And so uh, <laughs> so I, I, I checked the score in the morning, uh, watched some highlights, learned about the somewhat bad beat with the foot on the sidelines so all in the morning Uh, but you'll like this john i have some actual masters bets of my own Um, now whether i'll watch a single hole of the tournament is still tbd i have a a busy (laughs) schedule these next four days so i'll i'll likely scoreboard watch and if i'm in the hunt for something i'll tune in with like three holes to go on sunday Mm -hmm. but uh but i did go ahead and make some bets and i even made a dfs lineup um i took a a promo bump to get zalatoris at 38 to 1 i've got three Mm -hmm. bucks on that I had a five dollar free bet and I used it on ROM at the best price that I saw anywhere, which was twelve to one. And then I put another five dollars on Kepka at twenty to one when one of the sports books did a small boost on him. And uh, and here's my DFS lineup. I'll uh, run it by you as the resident golf expert. Uh, from most expensive to least expensive, I have Cantlay, our boy Zalatoris, Oosthuizen, Russell Henley, Justin Van Zuden's long shot, Corey Connors. And my cheapy in order to make the lineup fit, uh, Luke List. Uh, does that sound like a lineup that's going to win me a hundred thousand uh, dollars? 
I'm okay with it, except Cantley. I just don't like him at all. Ah, this course okay. doesn't have the not the short game and the smarts to pull that off. But otherwise, the rest of it looks pretty good. All right, all right. Um, but you know, I, I have a ton of boxing to watch this weekend, and and a boxing podcast mm. to record when that's all over. My son actually has three little league games: Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. <laughs> and my uh, wife is out of town till Friday night, so I'm doing all the parenting. So. Mm. I'm sorry to say master's viewing will be low priority unless I have a good sweat. If I'm in the hunt for a hundred thousand dollars in DFS on Sunday, I'll be, I'll be, I'll be watching intently. Good luck with that. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening for joining us for episode number 188 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 187 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review. I mean, if Tiger Woods can play in the Masters 13 months after nearly losing his leg, you have no excuse not to swipe your thumb a couple of times and give us a five-star rating. <laughs> well said, well said. Uh, now, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by U.S. Bet's Canadian correspondent, Greg Warren, who will give us the inside scoop on the full launch of regulated iGaming and sports betting in the province of Ontario. But first, it's been a, I don't know, fairly busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. When he joins us shortly, Greg Warren will do most of the heavy lifting on the Ontario launch, but let's start with a brief discussion of our own about what is undoubtedly the biggest industry news this week. Ontario is the largest province in Canada in terms of population, over 14 million people. That would make it the fifth largest state in the U.S. Uh, After online gambling was legalized in Canada, Ontario Lottery and Gaming was permitted to launch its ProLine Plus online sports betting site last fall. And that was the only regulated option for bettors in the province until 12.01 a.m. Monday, when private operators were allowed to launch. And launch they did, with 13 brands getting going on the first day, some of them launching iCasino and iPoker as well, most just launching sports books, uh, such names as FanDuel, BetMGM, PointsBet, The Score, Bet365, and more. It was a reasonably smooth rollout, no major drama. There was a launch event Monday morning at the Toronto Stock Exchange. Perhaps the most interesting subplot was that a few operators were previously servicing Canada in the gray market and on Monday entered the legal market and had to cancel all unsettled futures bets as part of the switchover, which different companies handled in different ways. Uh, Our upcoming guest, Greg, covered it all with a live blog all Sunday night and Monday. That can be found on Sports Handle. I assume you read some or all of it, John. So what stands out to you as noteworthy about the Ontario launch? I mean, first, I miss live blogging. I'll say that. Uh, Hmm. I remember covering the Jets-Colts AFC title game in Indianapolis more than a decade ago. And I arrived on Tuesday in time for a pep rally at the local mall. And it's all Colts people, obviously, except one lone wolf in a Jets jersey. He was a Jersey City native. He was great. You know, I get to the hotel and there's Joe Namath in the lobby. He's great to talk to. And I was so centrally located that each day I had to walk maybe a block or two to find new wrinkles. And each day more and more Jets fans arrived. And it's kind of like, you know, I hate that, you know, Jet Nation, Red Sox Nation, Yankee Nation, whatever. But like this was Jet Nation. And as I live blog chronicled it, somehow it went semi-viral in the Jets fanatic community. So I got a lot of feedback and a lot of gratitude when I discovered the local Irish bar that agreed to be the adopted home of visiting Jets fans of the weekend. So uh, it, it was really something to see. See one group of young Jets fans round a city corner and see, well, almost themselves in the mirror, another group. And it would take a moment, and then somebody would have the good sense to start chanting, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. 
such joy on their faces. It was uh, great until the game ended, of course. But right. but wait, the, the Ontario betting live blog. Yeah. <laughs> right, um, right. Back to so, that. Yeah, right. Uh, first, obviously, the regulator made his deadline is not a sports fan, clearly. Uh, March Madness Final Four, Saturday and Monday, cannot contain an arbitrary deadline in any country, uh, especially not a neighboring one. So that's a fail for somebody. Now, I see the big first wager in Canada was a two game parlay for 500 that included North Carolina on the money line in the final. Mm. Ouch. I'm afraid to see if the Maple Leafs won the other bet for that poor bastard because, you know, <laughs> didn't help him. Uh, otherwise, I see the inevitable opening day glitches inevitably occurred. Uh, you know, that happens. But the pacing of the post was infectious uh, by Greg. And yeah. I wish more writers and analysts would live blog when circumstances permit. Yeah, no, it was really good stuff from him. I enjoyed uh, editing it throughout the day, reading it throughout the day. Um, one detail that I found interesting as a Pennsylvania better who just in the last couple of months had points bet finally come to my state and I've been enjoying points betting is that Ontario is not allowing points betting at this time. The, the mm. fact that the amount you can win or lose isn't locked in in advance apparently doesn't align with the rules that they've established in, in Ontario. So we'll see if there's any adjustment to that going forward. Um, we should also note that conspicuously absent from that list of operators who launch Monday is DraftKings. Uh, so I, I plan to ask Greg about that. But uh, this is certainly a rarity to have more than a dozen operators launching at once in a jurisdiction and DraftKings isn't one of them. Um, but um, anyway, we'll have uh, much more on this with uh, with Greg Warren in just a few minutes, unless you've got anything else to add before we move. Well, on. yeah, I, I got to say that, you know, points bet, it basically is like a stop loss in a stock market. So you're shorting a stock or going long on a stock. And you're also saying, OK, within a certain limit. So there are limits. It's not like you can you know lose a million dollars in one game. Right. But but still, that's an, that's such an Australian concept where points bet is based, where, you know, you, you can have an extreme number where, you know, you're sure the under 52 and a half in a, in a game is going to be way under. And sure enough, it ends up 10-7 and you win a fortune or the opposite, of course, can happen. And I, I get it. And again, you're going to you're going to have stop loss. So it's not unlimited, but. I'm not too surprised that any jurisdiction would say, you know, I, I don't know. This seems like a lot. Uh, it's just not that American because we're not the, you know, the most, uh, uh, the riskiest country. Um, and I'm a little surprised that just about every st state, I guess, in the U.S. is cool with it. But um, again, the, you do set your own limits. So it's not like it's, it, it, you can go bankrupt, but, right. and you can't lose money you don't have in the accounts. So that's good. But right. still, I, I, I'm not not astonished that Canada or any other country would say, you know, wait a minute, let's uh, let, let's try this thing out first for a year or two. And then we'll see if we're OK with that, too. Yeah, I, I get it. It's it's a, a, a different, slightly different level of gambling to get comfortable with first. Uh, as long as, though, as uh, I, I indulged your uh, your Jets tangent, I'll go on my own very quick tangent about a, a Sixers points betting bet uh, is that uh, the other night I went ahead and did the over on points for Tyrese Maxey, which was set at 17 and a half. And uh, again, I, I had discussed this once on the pod that my philosophy is if he comes up short, he's not going to come up short by too much mm -hmm. and he might go way over. And he did indeed go off for uh, 30 points the other night. So that uh -huh. was a, a nice points betting win for for me there that I'll mm -hmm. have myself on the back for. Uh, and then uh, move on now to our second news story. I suppose that's enough tangents about stuff that don't have anything to do with big breaking news. <laughs> uh, we haven't had an illegal gambling ring news item on the show in a little while, but that changes with our second story this week. As last Thursday, the DOJ released details of an illegal sports betting ring run in part 
by former minor league baseball player Wayne Nix and involving various unnamed people who work in sports, including a professional football player, an MLB coach, and a sports broadcaster. Uh, Nix agreed to plead guilty to conspiracy to operate an illegal gambling business that took bets through a Costa Rica-based website and faces up to eight years in prison, and he's just one of five people charged. Nix's bookmaking operation dates back to 2002, one year after his final year in the Oakland A's farm system. Again, we don't know the names of the other current or former pro athletes, but the NFL player sent Knicks a check in 2016 for $245,000 to cover gambling losses. And the sports broadcaster reportedly said he was refinancing his home mortgage to pay off his gambling debt. This connects tangentially to the Calvin Ridley story we've covered in recent weeks. Although in this case, we don't know that any athletes or coaches were betting on the leagues they play or coach in. Still, this certainly makes the case that sports betting is happening among athletes and has been all along, and legalization and regulation help bring it out of the shadows. John, any other takeaways from this story? And do you think there's any chance we ever find out who the NFL player, MLB coach, and sportscaster are? Well, you know, Eric, I looked up the Wayne Nix's career on baseballreference.com because, well, I think the site has stats on every player and every fan, really, who's ever attended a professional baseball game. <laughs> so Nix was a fourth round pick by Oakland in 1995, got promoted up four levels to double A for no discernible reason, given his yearly ERAs. He finally figured out his niche at age 24, which was back to high A baseball. And that either was too sobering a factor, he blew out his arm, I'm not sure. But now, if anybody really wants to know the names, a blanket immunity deal for Nix might be pretty tempting depending on the potential penalties but how often do those of us who want to know everything hardly ever find out anything i'm not optimistic but i would like to know yeah. uh, also the odds that the defendant got a call on the lines of you know it would be a shame if something happened uh, are not that close to zero unfortunately let's be realistic it's gambling right. so for a moment i thought how odd the scandal was to come out now right in a legal regulated world but clearly these gamblers are betting on credit, which is an offshore specialty and a, a player or a coach or possibly even a broadcaster, if employed by a team, right? They can't sign up on a legal site under their own name unless that name is, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, you know, as a member of the sports media, I'm probably more interested to know who the sportscaster is than who the MLB coach and NFL player are. Um, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if we do eventually learn who they are via MLB and NFL conducting their own investigations. I mean, MLB in particular, there's a history there of coaches and sports betting. And uh, I think they'd want to know and make sure this coach wasn't betting on baseball games, given a certain famous precedent involving a certain former gamble on guest. Uh, but I don't know if that'll end up turning up these names for us or not. But um, yeah, this story to me, again, it promotes legalization and regulation. Although if you have an active player or coach who does want to bet on his league and the league has rules against that, if he's determined to bet, absolutely determined, he's going to keep going underground with the bookies. Um, the yeah. Calvin Ridley situation, you know, for maybe 99 out of 100 would-be bettors who play in the NFL, that situation might serve as a warning that they will heed to just not bet on the NFL. It's not worth it. There's still that one out of 100 whose takeaway might be, I'm not betting at a regulated book online like that idiot Calvin Ridley did. I don't want any digital paper trail. I'm only betting with bookies. So, I mean, there, I guess there is no perfect solution that eliminates all betting by players, coaches, et cetera. But I do feel strongly that regulation leads to much less of this sort of activity. 
Yeah, I don't know. I think people who uh, think that uh, regulation eliminates this problem are wrong, and people think that the legalization creates this problem are also right. wrong. It's just it is what it is, and uh, ne- nothing gets solved this way. But there's there's no solution to it. As, as you say, if if these guys want to gamble, they're going to find a way no matter what, and that's forever been true. I mean, the 1950s had about CCNY and. Uh, uh, I think another school in the New York area oh, right. uh, in college basketball. I mean, that was the dawn of, and that's before the NCAA really even had Mar- March Madness decades before. And, and yet there was that temptation. And obviously uh, Shoe Jackson goes back now more than a hundred years. And yep. uh, in the 1890s and, and 19 zeros, uh, you know, gambling issues were rampant in major league baseball. I mean, it, it goes back that far. There's, there's no way to, prevent it from happening. And as I say, anyone pretends that we've solved it now or we've created it a bigger problem, it's a problem. It really is. But there's nothing that we can do to make it go away. There are people who have an opportunity to make money by rigging a sporting event. And that temptation is never going to go away. So, you know, we just have to deal with it as best we can. And I have to admit, when you said uh, CCNY, my mind first went to how is he going to tie Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young into this. And then I was like, <laughs> nice. C, not nice. CSNY, you said yes, CCNY, and I yeah. figured out. But I did have a half second there of uh, extreme confusion <laughs> waiting to hear uh, what your what your pop culture reference uh, was, was about to be. But you also said the 1950s, so that even predates uh, CSNY, I guess, by a little bit. A little bit, although I, I think more of CSN. You know, Neil Young was kind right. of a late addition to the group. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> and now we've definitely lost any listener under 40 years of age. Let's, uh, let's get back <laughs> under, to it here. Under 50. Let's be honest. Well, I'm under 50 and I'm familiar with uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. Not a huge fan, but whatever. That's for another time. Um, For our final story this week, let's talk about some handle and revenue numbers. Uh, As it's currently April, you might think we'd be ready to discuss March or maybe a holdover from February. But no, instead, we're going all the way back to January because finally all states have reported for January. Uh, Arizona was the one we were waiting on. And now we can officially say January was the biggest sports betting month in U.S. history by an enormous margin. The previous record for single month national sports betting handle was a little over $7.5 billion in October. In January, thanks in large part to the arrival mid-month of New York mobile betting, the national handle, as tallied by our colleague Chris Altruda, was $9.8 billion. Uh, Nine different states reached a half billion in handle in January. The previous high for any month was to have five states reach that number. We know these records aren't going to be broken in February when handle dipped in most states. And as we discussed recently, the sports books in several states actually lost money when promotional credits were taken into account. But March, with March Madness... John, could we see national handle over $10 billion in March? Or do you think the January record won't fall until football season? And any other reflections on a $9.8 billion handle month? I mean, periodically, I'm reminded of my competitive nature. I'm the governor of Illinois. There's no way I'm getting my ass kicked by the Indiana governor in terms of promptness of reporting numbers, right? And if I'm the Indiana governor, I am trash talking the hell out of the Illinois governor and any other neighboring state that I beat on this front. Now, meanwhile, 10 billion, uh, it's definitely March or bust until the summer ends. And I think we get there. Uh, although I didn't see much of it, March Madness mostly lived up to its name. And I think that probably drove handled nicely in some states, even without mobile betting in North Carolina or Kansas. 
Yeah, so I, this is a tough call in terms of March. Um, last year, I remember us thinking that March had a chance at equaling January, and then it didn't. The January yeah. records held up until September. But this March, we do get a full month of New York, although yeah. then again, January in New York was probably inflated by people betting their sign-up promo offers, you know, $1,000 or so, quote-unquote, risk-free bets, etc. So maybe even in a partial month of January, New York handle was higher than it will be in these upcoming full months. So I'll go the other way, and I'll guess that the $9.8 billion record will stand until September but then, you know, perhaps with another state or two launching by then, maybe Maryland, um, the industry will definitely break the $10 billion barrier in the first month of football season, I think. Um, but uh, to put that $9.8 billion in perspective, I went back and looked at January 2019, the first January post-PASPA, mm-hmm. and total national handle for the month was $965 million, so not quite $1 billion. So in three years, we've seen that number increase tenfold. Um, of course, uh, you know you could count on one hand the number of states with online betting in January 2019, uh, but still, it, it's remarkable how quickly this industry has grown, and there's still a lot of room for more growth. Of course, the three most populous states are not yet on board. So maybe three years from now, uh, I don't think it's going to increase tenfold uh, again. You know, we won't have a $90 billion January, but it could still maybe triple in three years if California, Florida, and some other states have mobile betting by then. So, you know, like a $30 billion month in 2025, that might be possible. Oh, I'm shorting California, Florida, and Texas for as long as I can. I don't see that, <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll give you double, $20 million. Okay. All right. Well, and, and look, the shorting worked out for you with New York for a long time until, <laughs> until finally it didn't work out. Anymore. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I came out ahead. Right. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. We discussed the Ontario sports betting launch a bit already in the news segment, but there's only so much that a couple of Yanks can tell you. So we now welcome a guest who can give us the full scoop from the Canadian side of things. Greg Warren has covered sports in Canada for over a decade, working for such outlets as Rogers Sportsnet and The Score. And last year, he joined the U.S. Bets team as our Canada-based correspondent. And today, he makes his Gamble On debut. Greg, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Looking forward to it. So we'll ask you to start by setting the scene for us a little. Uh, Ontario did not exactly go from zero to 60 overnight. There was already one legal sports betting operator in the province. There were also gray market operators. But on Monday, the regulated commercial market opened. How dramatic a shift was it? And does it seem to you that the people of Ontario were and are educated about what was legal before and what's legal now? Or, Or is there still a long way to go in terms of that learning curve? Absolutely. Okay, so I would say that the shift wasn't quite as dramatic as a typical launch would be in the United States for any given state, uh, in my opinion. So the Canadian Gaming Association estimates that roughly 14 billion a year was being wagered by Canadians through illegal operations. So that could be anything from organized crime or offshore betting. 
Also, people in Ontario have a very long way to go in regards to education on regulated versus unregulated markets because of the really long existing gray market and the existence of OLG's ProLine games already, which have been offered in the province since 1992. So for a very, very long time, right? Mm. Um, just before launch, a study came out from Deloitte Canada, and it really concluded that Canadians needed a complete sports betting education pretty much from top to bottom. Uh, it concluded only one in five Canadians even realized single event wagering was now legal in Canada. And that happened way back in August of last year. So it's, it's had some time to sink in and a lot of mainstream media has kind of uh, taken the reins on that and tried to educate people, but people still just, just don't understand. 37% um, of the respondents to this survey also noted that they were interested in placing a legal wager, but they lacked the education and the information to actually place a bet. So obviously a long way to go uh, as far as the Canadian public is concerned. Um, it, it's estimated that Bet365, uh, which has been operating in Ontario as a gray market operator for a long time now, already has about 35% of the sports betting population in Canada mm. uh, prior to single game wagering launch. So um, it's got a huge lead on the rest of the pack in Ontario. Sports Interaction, which is regulated by the Kabanaque Gaming Commission in Quebec and the Jersey Gambling Commission, has also been really popular in Canada for a long time now. So uh, new operators essentially in the province feel like they have a huge uphill battle against them uh, to fight against the previously great books because they have such a following here in Canada already and it's such a mature market. So uh, it really wasn't that big of, uh, of a dramatic shift when, when things became regulated on early on Monday morning. Okay, and just the one that I'm I'm curious about uh, where it stands among the others now is is that Proline Plus. Is there? Do they seem to have a a, a big built-in user base by having the the head start that that they have? Uh, you know, how, how much do you think the situation of everybody else launching after them? How much does that help uh, Proline Plus? ProLine Plus is in a little bit of a unique situation and they've been really keeping their cards close to their chest. They haven't released any numbers on anything because they knew this competition was coming and they've been preparing for it for a while now. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, uh, ever since the launch of single game legalization, ProLine Plus, which is the online branch of ProLine, just launched uh, right last August, pretty much right when single game wagering was uh was instigated here in Canada. So they actually haven't had that much of a head start and, and their product is, is, is very um, almost old and outdated compared to the way a lot of the major American and offshore sports books work. There, there, there aren't a ton of offerings and they really had to get up to speed. So um, we don't really have any data on, on ProLine Plus right now or, or the ProLine product, which is the retail operation portion of it, um, mm. simply because they, they haven't been disclosing anything and, they, and they've really been trying to, to hold their customer base as much as possible heading into this launch and inviting all the competition into Ontario. Okay. You know, Greg, there's a little known quirk uh, before the 2018 revolution in the U.S. started with the Supreme Court allowing any state to uh, uh, basically get into Las, Las Vegas style sports betting, right? Uh, Delaware, one of the smallest states in the country, was allowed to have NFL parlay wagering only um, for a number of years. I remember going down there seven or eight years ago. And I know Canada's had parlay wagering for a number of years, too. But so to what extent is that really considered sports betting and to what extent was it in the consciousness whether it ever got mentioned on a tv or radio broadcast or on sports talk radio or just in general was it seen as more of like a lottery game i mean what, what was it like uh, beforehand to, to get a sense of what the difference is they already had parley betting now you're going to this how big a revolution is it 
That's right. Yeah. So it kind of builds off our previous discussion here on ProLine. So like I said, they've been operating uh, since 1992 and they're a very trusted brand in Canada because they've been the only brand, quite frankly. So um, a lot of people in Canada are really accustomed to going to a retail location and filling out their slips, betting on three or more events parlay style. That's that's really been the only option in Canada forever. So um, a lot of government lotteries in Canada have since since launched the online sports betting platforms like ProLine Plus I mentioned. Uh, out west in British Columbia, they have a great platform called Play Now that's actually quite impressive. But it's, it's actually thrown off a lot of people in Canada because especially the baby boomers that have been playing these games for years and have, and have really trusted in, in ProLine now for more than two decades. Um, they're not happy about this overall shift to online betting because it's become habitual for them to actually go and fill out slips. It's almost become ritualistic for them and, and been a, a fun social ex experience for them. So um, it used to be very common, especially in the early 2000s, to see groups of predominantly older males, to be honest, uh, hanging out at a local Tim Hortons coffee shop and debating <laughs> how to fill out their pro-line slips. You go in there and you'd see the pro-line slips all over the all over the table and they got donuts and coffee going. Uh, and then basically going across the street to a local convenience store and getting them printed by the cashiers so um pro lines in retail stores gas stations convenience stores you can play it at the local casinos they got over ten thousand locations in ontario alone and so and then also it's available all across canada with different variations uh it's sports select is a variation that they have on the west coast of canada so um it's very heavily marketed within these locations and on the storefront you'll see big banners for pro line uh the kiosks that are in these stores are ve are very highly visible and promoted so um um, as far as TV advertising goes, they, they've run over the years. They've, they're kind of known as running really funny, uh, goofy kind of commercials, primarily on sports networks like TSN. Um, they focus on groups of people wagering on football and hockey primarily. Um, it's all, it was also very common to see pro-line advertising on the boards at NHL hockey arenas or in CFL football stadiums. But you really would never hear any actual references to pro-line during uh, mainstream coverage of sports or live mm -hmm. broadcasts. It, that's, that's kind of a new phenomenon that I think we're seeing, especially in the United States. And, and now that's going to start happening in Canada as well. They're, the advertising boom has already started here with the launch of the regulated market. But uh, it, it never pro-line never used to get uh, kind of shouted out during these broadcasts at all so proline now it, it's very worried about losing its customer base with the open market and it's really been working to improve its product by increasing offerings especially they've just secured partnerships with the nfl and nhl in canada so um, what the major complaint that any sports better will tell you with proline is that they've got a ton of juice on their lines when compared to other books mm -hmm. so um they, I, I, and that really hasn't changed since since the launch. So I think ultimately that that might lead to a lot of people dropping off. But I think their retail following will still persevere and they'll still have some good numbers. Okay. Yeah, I'm wondering uh, another new aspect of this, I would think, for Canada is the rise of the professional sports better. Uh, America and I know quite a few of them. We've had a number of them on the show. Um, if people think you can't make a living at uh, gambling, uh, it's not true, although it's very difficult. I don't believe anybody's making a living on parlays. I just can't believe it. So, uh, <laughs> no, uh, no. Yeah, so, so now, but there are going to be, you know, uh, highly dedicated sports fans, especially those with mathematical background, a lot of intellect and everything. They, they're going to find that they can, they can make money uh, doing it. Now, nine people out of 10 at least are going to be wrong, but, uh, you know, a few of them are going to be right. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Lots of trips to Vegas, John, for Canadians. Lots and lots of trips. <laughs> right. I know some guys that go to Vegas, you know, 20 to 30 times a year, and they just kind of take their whole bankrolls and blow it every time they go there. So <laughs> that's uh, traditionally before the uh, before online gaming became really big. That's that's what we were doing here in Canada. Anyone that's really serious about gambling anyways was making the trip south to the United States. Mm-hmm. All right. So one specific operator that I want to ask you about is CoolBet Canada, which I'd never heard of until this week. Um, CoolBet appears to have taken the first legal online bet in the new Ontario market. Uh, and then the operator went above and beyond with its handling of futures bets that were left over from the gray market days. Um, does a sports book like this have a chance to build up a serious customer base in Ontario and, and compete with all of what John and I know as, as household name sports books? Yeah. So cool bet did take the first bet in Ontario, according to Twitter. Anyways, they were the first ones to, to put it out. So that bet was on Kansas minus four to win the national championship for a hundred bucks. Um, They've really kind of gained some street credit here in Canada right off the bat. Um, Regulators have have some strange rules that have been put in place. And and because CoolBet was operating as a gray market operator in Canada, they had to settle all of their existing bets. So what they did was they voided all their existing bets prior to launch in Ontario and returned the stakes to the customer. So if you're holding a losing ticket, you got your money back. And a ticket that looked like it was going to win, you also got your money back. But... The, the kicker here is that for seasons in which more than 50% of the action was completed on futures, uh, CoolBet decided they're going to continue to track these bets. And if you win, they're going to grant the winners uh, a zero rollover balance credit in any amount of the potential win. So that's that's pretty great. And I think that's a nice gesture. Um, yeah. If the bet seemed likely to win already, CoolHead actually just went ahead and graded them as winners right out of the gate for people and, and carried that over when they transitioned to the regulated market. So um Apparently, uh, you're right. They kind of burst onto the scene. They have over 200 employees, most of them working out of a head office in Estonia, mm-hmm. and they hold gaming licenses in Ontario, Estonia, Sweden, and Malta. Live in nine markets, um, it appears that further growth might be imminent. They've been around in Canada since around 2015 or so. So um, Chris Abbott is the head of North American operations, and I actually had the privilege of speaking to him for the first time over the last couple of weeks. The book is attracting about $5 million in weekly handle. And something really cool about them is they're totally transparent. So you can see all the bets that are placed live on the site when you go on to wager. So um, they've also got some great educational content through their site for beginners. They're very user-friendly in that sense. And, and I think that might go a long way with the Canadian public. And they've done a really good job of targeting hockey and soccer in Canada with social media. So I think they're going to be okay. I think it remains to be seen if they can compete with the already established great books in Canada. And obviously the big U.S. sports books that are moving in like FanDuel, Caesars, BetMGM, and eventually DraftKings. So remains to be seen, but they're certainly off to a good start. And, and I'm really interested to kind of follow um, their numbers as, as we progress here and see if they can kind of inch into that upper echelon or kind of operate comfortably in that mid-range uh, as a mid-range sports book in Ontario specifically. So yeah, we'll see that they, they seem to have a good product and, and the sports bettors I've talked to have been really impressed so far. Okay. And, and you threw in that and eventually DraftKings. That was, I was, that was going to yes. be my follow-up question on sort of the flip side of cool bet from a name recognition uh, level in, in the U S would be DraftKings, which hasn't launched yet. What is the latest in terms of when DraftKings is going to show up in Ontario? 
Right. So we we don't have a, a firm date yet. They, they're not tipping their hat on that. However, they do have a license um, pending with the AGCO. They have applied and they do have to sign an operating agreement with iGaming Ontario. So once that happens, I, I think you'll see them shortly. I think I think the speculation is that it's probably a matter of weeks, not months before they kind of get into the market. Um, but as of right now, we don't have a firm date launch date for them in Ontario. All right. Yeah, I'm curious about, uh, you know, one thing I've learned in the last 20 years or so covering gambling issues to a certain extent is Australians bet they they gamble beyond belief. The per capita numbers are insane. And then um, Ireland and the United Kingdom particularly are also pretty strong on it. So now that's maybe a good thing or a bad thing, depends on how you look at it, but they're certainly into it. And the United States is a little bit tepid. I mean, New Jersey obviously had some big numbers, but per capita, but it doesn't measure with Australia, that's for sure. I'm curious if you think Canada is in the same boat, more or less, as the United States, or are they a little more interested in gambling in general? I'm talking casinos, horse racing, the whole the whole gamut, and now sports betting. You know, what's the level of interest in gambling in Canada, you think, compared to other countries? Right, right. Okay. Okay, so I, I actually recently had a look at an HP gambling capital study from 2017. I wanted to pull some numbers that were a little pre-pandemic because obviously the numbers are thrown off worldwide yeah. because of the pandemic right now. Um, so some of the findings for Canada, over 75% of Canadian adults have been involved in at least one form of gambling. So um, specifically lottery and scratch tickets are very popular in Canada. So that, that's kind of been leading the pack. Um, Canada overall recorded 382 US dollars gaming losses per adult. So that's obviously a, a far cry off from the 958 gaming losses per adult that you see in Australia. <laughs> and it's just slightly less of, of than the USA, which came in at 421 gaming losses per adult. Mm -hmm. uh, the United Kingdom, just a little bit lagging behind Canada at $346. So <laughs> I, I think you're going to see Canada kind of inch up those those rankings. And, and I don't think we'll ever get to the point uh, or be on the same level as Australia. I don't think that's going to happen. But I really think that the Canadian and US markets are going to are they're, they're almost linked in a way. And I think you'll see this, whatever's happening in the United States. So Canada will kind of follow suit and maybe just closely behind, I think pretty much the whole way as we look maybe five, 10, 15 years down the road. So. Yeah, and what are, what are Canadians going to bet on the most? Obviously uh, the ignorant U S thing is going to be hockey and curling. That's all they're going to bet on. I don't think there's going to be that much betting on curling, but what actually will Canadians bet on the most? Right. So like, like, like I actually just mentioned lottery and scratch tickets yeah. are, are definitely very popular and in casino gambling is also huge. Lots of, lots of casinos, especially in Ontario that you can visit and, and on the West coast in Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan as well. So um, sports betting, I think is, it's going to take a while before that really takes off, but you're, yeah, it's, it's a, a lot of poker play, a lot of a blackjack play and lottery, 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 and, and scratch tickets. Anytime you go to a convenience store here in Ontario, uh, even, even when you walking into the casinos people are just buying you know dozens and dozens of scratch tickets all the time so so that's definitely the uh, the leading sector for canada right now are, are they going to bet more on the nfl or the cfl they're definitely going to bet more on the NFL. So hmm. kind of, kind of how the hierarchy goes in Canada, NFL is still King. So uh -huh. we, everyone's going to be betting more on NFL than anything else. Uh, then of course, you're going to have hockey after that. And then you're going to get into, to probably the CFL range, NBA kind of on the same level due to the Raptors recent championship at the NBA numbers are starting to creep up a little bit. Um, and then in certain pockets of Canada, particularly on the east coast of Canada and in the prairie provinces, curling is very big. So you're, that's a lot of operators are seeing that as, as a real kind of niche opportunity to try to identify themselves with curling brands and professional curlers in, in Canada because they see that, that that's going to be a, a 
growing sport in the country. And uh, of course, soccer is also on the rise now. The Canadian men's national team qualifying for the World Cup for the first time in a long time. So, uh, so, okay, so soccer is definitely on the rise too. How's your personal curling handicapping? Are you, are you a curling sharp? Okay, so I'm learning. This is actually the first year that I placed some wagers during the Olympics on curling. So I've got a long, long way to go. I was was only hitting about 35% on my bet. So I've got a lot of hand, long way to go in my handicapping process with that. And uh, I'm an even worse curler in real life, too. So (laughs) it's a lot harder than it looks. Trust me, a lot harder than it looks. I believe you. Any, Any sport competed on ice is already beyond the realm of anything I'll try, essentially. So <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been uh, great talking to you, Greg. Uh, great appearance here on the podcast. And also, I got to say, great work this week covering the launch. Uh, are, are you back on a normal sleep schedule yet as we uh, interview you midweek here? Oh, just just barely, just barely hanging on right now. So I'm looking forward to the weekend to recharge the batteries a little bit. But uh, it's been a fun week here in Ontario, and we're going to be really, really happy to see how things progress and really happy to have all the great selection of of new sports books in uh, in Ontario right now. It's a very exciting time. Absolutely. And and I'll just uh, direct our listeners uh, toward your Twitter. It's at Greg Warren BC if you want to follow Greg on Twitter. So great stuff. Thanks. uh, Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Great. Thanks, guys. Have a great day. All right, thanks, Greg. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll. And this is a tough one for me to swallow because John put together a solid winning week but one of my futures bets placed way back in the fall spoiled it. Um, First, John hit with his bet on UNC to cover against Duke in the semifinals. We won $100 as John broke his personal streak of getting tripped up by Duke. Then John went one for three on his golf bets and profited $20. Um, Connors to win cost us 20 Hoffman top 20 cost us 40 but Streelman top 20 won us $80. So it looks like a good week for us, $120 win but we have two NBA futures bets to process. One is the Ben Simmons to miss his first free throw bet. He's officially not playing during the regular season. So that one is voided 60 bucks back in our account. The other was my bet on the bulls at plus 120 odds to land in the Eastern conference play in tournament, which would mean finishing between seventh and 10th on Tuesday night. They clinched a top six spot with a Cleveland loss. So it was close. The bulls are going to end up probably as the sixth seed, but it's a loss costing us $150. And that means we lost $30 on the week. So we're now down by $3,218. We have $825 on hold in futures bets. So we're left with $5,957 to bet with this week. And before you get us started, John, just a quick reminder for the listeners of the four masters bets we already have Uh, $10 on M to win at 50 to one. $10 on Zalatoris to win at 33 to one, $40 on Cam Smith to win at 16 to one, and $40 on Kepka to win at 18 to one. So that's $100 invested. Nice profit if any of the four win this thing. And now, John, you're up first with uh, your first bet of the week. I got to do an aside here. Uh, I was thinking about that Bulls bet for a while, and I I thought it didn't make sense because it's a preseason notion that almost everything in the conference is going to play out exactly like you expect. And for my many years of covering the NBA, no, it's not like that, like ever. Yet aside from the weirdness of Brooklyn Nets, of course, 
did the Eastern Conference cards turn over just like you thought they would otherwise? I guess pretty close to it. I guess the Raptors are maybe a little better than than most people projected. The Nets mm-hmm. obviously a lot worse, but uh, and and the Bulls were far exceeding my expectations early in the season, which is uh, why really made the difference more than anything. But and the Cavs were a surprise, but they kind of came back to earth eventually. So yeah, I would say the Nets were the only thing in the Eastern Conference that came out way different from what what anyone would have expected. All right, so maybe it's not a crazy bet after all. So it's still a loser, but it's still a crazy. loser. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I found one more Masters bet I like: uh, Zalatoris, Kepka, and Sam Burns to make the cut. All are in the afternoon wave on Thursday, so I can go with that. And I don't know where they stand. Obviously, 105 units to win 100 on that. You know, make the cuts better. By the way, are better at Augusta National than any other tournament. They take like top 65 in ties, for instance, out of 156 players after two rounds of the U.S. Open. And while there are a couple of dozen local qualifiers with no real shot, the field is really deep. At the Masters, you only need top 50 and ties out of 90 players. That includes maybe a half dozen amateurs and about as many uh, past champions on a nostalgia tour. Now, Burns is a first timer, but he's a nice pedigree. He's won three times on the tour already. I think he makes it, too. I like this on paper, but of course it is uh, John Brennan placing a parlay bet of sorts. So uh, a <laughs> little, little risky there that if one of them fails, we lose. But uh, 105 to win 100, I Hopefully that one will come through for us. Um, now, as you know, John, on the side, on weekends, I host a boxing podcast, uh, Showtime mm-hmm. Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. Over the past six months or so, the curse of the Showtime Boxing podcast has emerged. We've had eight boxers on as interview guests a week or two before their fights, and mm-hmm. six of the eight have lost, including <laughs> three who were solid favorites to win and got upset. Uh, we had a ninth boxer on this past week, Sebastian the Towering Inferno Fundora, who is in the main event Saturday against Erickson Lubin. And for the last couple of weeks, this has been the extremely rare dead even matchup, minus 110 both ways. You almost never see that in boxing. Once we had Fundora on our podcast due to the curse, clearly I had to bet on Lubin. So I did in real life, uh, two units, in in fact, double my typical amount uh, at uh, minus 110 odds. Unfortunately for the gamble on bankroll, in the last day or two, the odds changed. Uh, maybe because of our podcast curse, probably not. But now the best price I can find on Lubin is minus 145. I still like it, though, because I believe in our curse. Um, but uh, instead of betting 110 to win 100, as I'd planned to do, now I'm betting 110 to win just 76. So that's the bet. Uh, and I also have a small one on the undercard, uh, Tony Harrison. I make him a small favorite to beat Sergio Garcia and not the Sergio Garcia you're thinking of, John, a different one. <laughs> no. um, but uh, but I was surprised to see Harrison, who I favor to win the fight as a plus 200 dog. So got to jump on that. So let's also do $50 to win 100 on Tony Harrison. Yeah, that would have been a cool Sergio double. Like, actually, that'd be a, a nice parlay. Ooh, there. yeah. Sergio, Sergio. <laughs> he is playing in the Masters, but right. he's a long shot. Um, now, speaking of not parlays that I don't like, um, this one has hints of that because uh, I already have the Brewers to win the NL Central. And now, today I go 110 to win 100 on the Cardinals, also in the NL Central, for under 84 and a half wins. Now, the Cardinals announced on Wednesday they're putting Jordan Hicks into the starting rotation. A talented arm, but he's only been on the mound for 10 innings in 2021 in 39 innings total last three years. Oh, and he's never started a game in the majors either. I love the smell of desperation in the morning. <laughs> this rotation is in shambles. They got rid of a popular manager after his third straight postseason appearance in 2021 because 
he was too mean to a coach or something. I don't know. So the Cardinals haven't had a losing season since 2007. So it's easy to say, oh, they always find a way. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah, not this time. All right. Our uh, relatively new colleague, Mark Saxon, who is a both a uh-huh. baseball writer slash expert and a St. Louis resident. I don't know. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if he's going to take this as a personal uh, attack going <laughs> under on the cards, but uh, I I have not uh, done proper studying on the NL Central heading into this season. So I'll just have to uh, trust your trust your instinct on this one. Mm-hmm. Um the NBA regular season is winding down and there are a couple of interesting Eastern conference games tonight that'll impact the two, three, four seating. We have the Sixers at the Raptors um, Sixers without Matisse Thibel, who I guess gets his medical advice from Joe Rogan. Um, I am very frustrated with Thibel as a Sixers fan and as a general human, but uh, alas, this isn't the forum to uh, do a deep vent on that. I'm actually passing on betting that game. Instead, the one that I'll bet on, is Celtics at Bucks. Uh, Celtics are underdogs of five and a half or six points at different books. And yes, they're on the road. Yes, it's the second game of a back-to-back for them. And yes, they're a diminished team without center Robert Williams. But I just think six points is too many. These teams play each other close. The Celtics are two and one against the Bucks this season. One of those games they won in overtime. The only one that the Bucks prevailed in was just a four-point game. And Importantly, neither team has shown any signs of trying to avoid that two seed and a potential series against the Nets. They're going all out. This is the last chance for the Celtics to make a statement before the playoffs begin. I'm not saying they'll win, but I just think six points is too many. So let's go $110 to win 100 on Boston plus six as I break my personal rule to never root for Boston teams ever in any circumstances. Uh, For the sake of our bankroll, I will be a Celtics fan tonight. That's a good rule. All right. That'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Greg Warren. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And a quick note that next week's show will drop one day early. Look for that next Wednesday as we're shifting the schedule so my family and I can get out of town for my kids' spring break. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, I have my 38th annual wet newsprint rotisserie league baseball auction on Saturday, and it's a thrill to convene in person for the first time since 2019. But it won't quite be like old times, because in a league where every owner had been in the league for at least 20 years and many for far more, one passed away in 2020 and another in 2021, just days after winning his fifth and final title. Uh, no way he was going to miss that. So in recent years, a ladder owner who was in his 70s, he greatly enjoyed our annual trip to City Field along with his adult son. We'd tell stories on the way there at the ball game and on the way home and always go to a weekday afternoon game on a sunny day. Because what's more satisfying than knowing your family and friends are at work where you're watching a baseball game mm. in person? Well, at my friend's wake, his son gave a moving eulogy, and to my surprise, he specifically referenced those ballgame trips as particularly satisfying memories, both for him and for his dad. You know, that revelation doesn't make all the sadness go away, of course, but I was proud to have made just a little effort just a few times for a couple of friends that really made a difference, I learned. Point being, don't gamble that, well, there's always next year. After two years under the reign of COVID, now when you think of a get-together that you and others would enjoy, for God's sake, reach out and make it happen. The whole thing might even prove more rewarding than you know. And with that, until next time, gamble on.